Hey everybody, welcome to SoFly episode 11. It's August 3rd, and you might be hearing something really nice. Got new sound, upgraded our mics, upgraded everything. Uh, Mitch, Mitch here, and uh, Gab. What's up? Uh, Yilma is working right now, still he's over at the office doing some late night pitch stuff, and uh, so it's just Gab and I, but we have a really super cool guest today. And um, we'll introduce him in just a second, but before we do that, we just wanted to talk a bit more about this new upgraded sound. It's amazing. Right, Cam? So good. And we could do stuff like this. Isn't that so good? Like we, I, mean, I don't know if we're ever going to use sound effects, but we have the ability to do so. But uh, yeah, our new system looks, uh, looks pretty sexy right now. Yeah, it's awesome, and it sounds amazing, especially for guests. Speaking of guests, we've got someone very special on the show today, and um, let's get the show on the road. I think we're ready to roll. For those of you who don't know, Nick Groves is a fly fishing fanatic in southern Ontario, and if you are too, it's likely you've crossed paths. That's because he's also a well-known instructor and guide based out of Grand River Outfitting in Fergus, Ontario. Fergus, Ontario is, in fact, where Nick grew up and began fly fishing at the age of 14. The Grand River, Nick's home water is no stranger to his incredible streamers that are tied with the intention of catching big, hungry, brown trout. Nick, how's it going? Good, guys. How are you? Good, awesome. good. Awesome. Very, very nice intro. Hey. Short and sweet. That's right. <laughs> I think it was all right, too. I think you're good. Yeah, 14, the right age. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You didn't mention how old I am now, which is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Say it. How old are you now? So how long have you been fly fishing for? I, I'm in my 37th year. Wow. You, you would go. never know. You look younger yeah. than I am. <laughs> I, um, while I was in school, I took a number of years off, close to a decade, where I was just your normal uh, university kid. Uh, and then lived in Guelph for a while and didn't pick up a fly rod until probably, um, I don't know, probably about seven or eight years ago. Probably seven years ago, I got back into it and started getting pretty obsessed. A lot more so than growing up. As a as a young kid in Fergus, so. yeah, I'm the same way because uh, I my dad showed it to me when I was like six seven years old. Then I fished all the way to like mid mid teenage, and then I discover mm-hmm. I discover intoxicants and women's, yeah. and then took a long <laughs> break, and then my late twenties picked it up again. <laughs> yeah, well, go figure. You you have to live out your prime the right way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, after after a while with the same girlfriend. You picked up fly fishing. It's kind of like the new mistress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fergus is a good spot for that stuff, though. Eh? For both, yeah. yeah, for, yeah. for all three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was actually before I took my leave of absence from fishing. I, I, um, when I was a little kid, I, um, I actually was kind of a dork. I, I collected bugs a lot more than I. Than I actually fished, believe it or not, because tying was actually one of the one of the most interesting things to me. And right when I started was sort of when Ian Martin's uh, book about fly fishing the Grand River came out, and it just I became obsessed with it. And more times than not, I was down in the river with a with a sieve net, collecting insects, trying to figure out as a teenager, young teenager, how to actually preserve samples of mayflies and aquatic insects. So it, that's what actually led me into university. Um, back at that time. So yeah, I spent a lot of time at the bench in my little room in my basement and tied flies. Um, and fishing was really good. It was a lot different back then on the grand than it is now. And 
Yeah. yeah that's so definitely something we want to get into a little bit. Like, how, what, what's the yeah. differences? Because the thing with um, Gab and I, because Gab, <clears throat> Gab hasn't, both of, us, both of us haven't really fished the Grand a whole lot. Like, I've only been in Toronto for three years. Gab's been here for about four, the same four. time, three or four years. Yeah. So we haven't really fished, so we really just know the Grand that exists today. And what, mm-hmm. what, what was it like uh, fishing it back then? Like, what's the differences now? Well, it's tough to say, guys. Like, I think right around because, as you now know, and everyone knows uh, how old I am, I was um, <laughs> I was just starting out at the onslaught of the the fish stocking. You know, the guys, the original group of friends of the Grand that that started the brown trout program uh, with the MNR. And so I kind of, you know, I still have news clippings in our local paper about uh, the the original dudes, like the the Ken Collins and the Larry McGrattans and the Al Newsom's and you know Steve May and those guys that that started this whole thing going you know we're going back 24 25 years ago now and um, back then there was a lot of excitement because fly fishing you know if you think about it 20 to 25 years ago that's a long time and things have things have changed a lot and the river the river's still the river. The river is still, you know, uh, it's a tailwater, so it's very, very controlled. Uh, it's very predictable. We know exactly when and what kind of flows and river temperatures and oxygen temps we're going to get. But the bottom line is one of the things that stays consistent is it continues to be a world-class brown trout fishery in a tailwater, and it, it still, to this day, produces some of the biggest fish that I see even in a lot of my travels. Um fun thing about it is they're not easy and they're finicky and they're very smart because we also live in uh the heavy the most heavily populated area of ontario right yeah yeah so you've got some very well educated uh trout that live in some very difficult conditions you know if we look at what the river's like right now we're hot uh those fish are are adapting and adjusting and they're very tolerant to the the conditions that we have so you know Back in the day, the river was still the river. We have climate change and everything that's that's actually sort of been documented over the last 20 years, and things change a bit. Um, season to season, things change quite a bit. This year, it's been nonstop rain, and 20 to 30 cubic meters a second has been sort of the norm. Yeah. Last year, we get above um, low summer flows the whole year. Last year, you would think it would be just dismal, but it was probably my most productive year on the Grand. Oh, um, yeah. 20, 20 years ago when Ian, when Ian wrote his book and documented sort of the hatches of the Grand and started that whole thing, um, there was a lot, I would say the biggest difference that we see now is that the hatches have sort of shifted. Um, we had pretty textbook sort of Catskill, upper New York sort of predictable mayfly hatches and that's predominantly what, what I, as I remember at Fish would key in on and and fly fishermen alike would key in on as the mayfly hatches starting you know early spring with the hendricksons and right through to the bluing olives and tricos later in the season um now i'm a streamer guy primarily now so the hatches you know aren't aren't of utmost importance and nerdiness to me uh as much as bait fish and big stuff but the hatches have definitely changed the fish are just as big, if not bigger. Uh, we've seen success rates in our in our um, our fish surviving. We haven't seen a lot of fish kills over the past few years due to you know cold uh, freezing or 
you know, hot water, hot water in the summer. So uh, it's just changed. We've shifted. I've seen a big migration primarily from the textbook sort of Catskill Mayfly hatches is sort of changed into guys that are, you know, by June, they're down to size 24 midges. Um, predominant midget, midge hatches go on year round. Crane flies are huge. Caddis flies still remain the predominant sort of insect food source on the Grand. But back then it was sort of by the day and even by the week you could t- you could totally see the may- the mayflies with the Hendricksons. Then it would change into the Isonychias and the March Browns and the Foxes and and then the Cahills and it would be sort of pretty regimented. And now it's you'll get sporadic hatches and and blends of all of it. Um, but unless you're out with a headlamp at night, you generally don't see that kind of activity during the day that we used to see, like. When I started, I was fishing pipe cleaners and and bumblebees, you know, and I could go out and get six 15-inch fish as a 14-year-old that were all rising in the same hole and could do it every night. And yeah. that that just doesn't happen anymore. We've yeah. got guys like like all of us that are out there teaching fish how to be smart in small water. And uh, that, that I think, takes its toll. And, and, you know, we're now 20 years later and we have an equally as good fishery, just a little bit different. Yeah, that's so. for sure, yeah. And that's to certainly, I think, a way to think about fishing um, southern Ontario in general, you know. Like, we hit the rivers and we're like, man, like, the pressure is just absolutely crazy. There's people and, and the hatches, like you say, the hatches have changed and everything's kind of, you know, so you take into account all of those other factors when you're fishing and it's kind of like, it's not just about, like, what's the the trout what's the trout thinking it's also like what is this trout in this specific pool thinking because of what it's been conditioned by you know Mm -hmm. for sure um yeah we're so fortunate though you know to think that the areas that we live when when trout are hurt in midsummer we can go target any other species of fish in a very you know, world-class sort of fishery, like, you know, uh, the smallmouth bass fisheries we have in our, our local tributaries is insane. Even even on the on the upper Grand where we fish for browns uh, this year, some of the bass walleye and pike that we've seen streamer fishing are like, you know, trophy even in the Muskokas. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool place to be where we are fortunate that we can basically, you know, we don't have a year-round fishery, but we have basically year-round species that we can target within half an hour of our house, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, yeah, and that's a, that's a, such a good point to hit, too, because I think a lot of people don't uh, think about it like that, you know? They're, they just, they don't really think about the fish's, you know, like, um, I guess their well-being, and they forget about all the warm water fishing that we've got around here, you know? Oh, it, mm-hmm. especially on the Grand, I found, because there's so many sections that you can go on the the in Fergus, you can fish for brown trout, for bass, for carp. I've had my best carp fly fishing was on the Grand around Fergus, and when I tell cool. when I tell people I go to Fergus, they're like, "Oh, brown trout." I'm like, "No, there's actually ginormous carp, and uh, the fishing oh, yeah. is good." But um, yeah. but yeah, in one river, so many species. Like if the trout is not on, you can just switch switch rods or switch your fly. And then start targeting another species, like right at that moment, in the same pool, basically. In some areas, not all, not not everywhere, but but I think that's sure. what it's so great about the Grand. What's uh, what's like a good uh, uh, like to gauge temperature? What like what should people kind of look for in terms of like you know avoid trout in blank temperature? Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly enough, guys, when you're out tomorrow, have a look at some of the spots, uh, some of the accesses we. As a as a board member now, I've been a 
board member of Friends of the Grand for, I believe I'm in my second or third year. Um, back in the day, they actually had uh, signage that was posted at all the major access points that had a dial that was developed by the MNR biologists that kind of uh, we could put, we could sort of move the, the hand around and show you kind of where you are in the warning zone for targeting trout. Well, we dug those out of one of the old guy's basement and oh, wow. uh, my friend, my friend Jason has put those back up and is maintaining them. Um, interestingly enough, the, the biologists at the MNR at the time, um, the way they had it was a little bit conservative on the, the, the sort of green light to fish for browns. Okay. Um, my general understanding would be, and, and rivers over a 24 hour cycle change significantly and, and interestingly, drastically, really? um, based two of the things you're looking for are number one are midday temperatures. Uh, what is, what is the peak, what is the river temperature peaking at midday? And, you know, we can't compare our tailwater to a natural or a freestone river, or really any other river other than tailwaters that are kind of similar, and there really aren't a lot. So the Grand is just so unique, and and basically a brown trout's tolerance, they're, they are the most tolerant of trout species as far as being able to hold hold on in warmer temps. But your rule of thumb would be midday if you're fishing and you're getting up around the 68 uh, degree Fahrenheit temp. Um, that's probably a, a time just to sort of back off and either plan your day around an early morning, like a dawn fish, or put the headlamps on and go out at dusk. Um, you know, so the the 68 is sort of my red flag. Uh, anything below that, I mean, the fish are going to tell you they're not going to be eating during a, a peak sun day at 32 degrees, right? right? So yeah. outside, if it's if it's 70 degree water, they're just not going to eat. Yeah, yeah. They're just going to be. They're going to be low at the bottom, not moving too much. Exactly, and one of the other things that happens on our river is we have algae uh, blooms that comes off of out of the lake every year, and and um, this time of the year, because we had this big flood about a month ago, it sort of scrubbed the rocks clean, and we were pretty fortunate that way. Um, But photosynthesis plays a big part of it too. So a brown trout, they're sort of optimum temperature ranges in your May and June temperatures where the river starts at about 45 degrees and by June if you have a good spring that's wet and you get a lot of rain um, by the end of June you could be getting up into the 57 58 degrees wow okay after that it's a crapshoot you know once you get into the 60 degrees uh, fish could get slower during the day so you're going to want to sort of time your day and and target when they're going to be most active now we're in this point where in that we're in that zone where we're 68 to you know there's rumors of you know midday when it was 30 degrees last week it was hitting 72 73 then you're off the water you don't want to be there because even if you do hit a fish and a big fish you're going to stress it out they might not even survive eh? like these big 20 20 something inches brown i mean it's it's pretty hot right now so tomorrow we'll, uh, we'll be aware of that will be be careful yeah just it's, it's just an awareness i mean if you're fighting a 20 inch fish on 6x and you're not going to want to lose that fish so you're going to fight them hard and you're going to you're going to go easy on them right yeah, exactly a yeah. little, little bit different if you're fighting them on 15 pound maximum with a six inch streamer he's going to be in the net now yeah. pretty quick so 
One of the other big things about our brown trout is oxygen, uh, dissolved oxygen in the river. No one, it's available on the GRCA website coming out of the Shandam and Bellwood. Um, but photosynthesis and dissolved oxygen can fluctuate dramatically over the course of a day, uh, which is why sort of night fishing when the river temps are high is probably your best and most friendly bet from a moral and ethical standpoint because that's when the photosynthesis stops in the river and you get more oxygen flowing through. Do you, so, um, no, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Finish, finish what you were saying. I was pretty much done. Okay. Yeah, no, because you mentioned night fishing and that's something that I wanted done, that I want to do since like, since I moved to Ontario basically because I know mm -hmm. that those big browns, they, they don't get that fat eating like mayfly and little nymphs um how's how's your your night fishing like uh, around uh, around the grand like uh, with would you use like streamer or mouse um all big stuff man like obviously yeah. when the sun goes down um brown trout and trout in general are pretty predatory and and nocturnal night fishing is something that's uh, it's a whole different ball game i mean take away Take away your main senses. Take away your sight and picture walk. Not even, not even standing in the river actually fishing, but picture walking to the river in the dark. Um, there's a whole. It's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different world of commitment. Um, if you have family or girlfriends or whatever, trust me, I have a 10 month old at home and a wife who hates me coming <laughs> home at 1:30 in the morning because it just doesn't work out yeah. that well but <laughs> yeah night fishing is effective it's um no, i wouldn't say reliable it's equally if not way more challenging than fishing during the day just because you are committing time to fishing in the dark um the bite could be on or it could be off but if it's off you've wasted a day you know mm -hmm. um It's all the same kind of commitments as trying to become productive during the day. I wouldn't say that it's a, a shoe-in or a sure bet. It's a pain in the ass at the best of times because during the summer months when you're targeting them on mice or big streamers, you're also sitting on the banks uh, getting eaten alive by bugs. It's balmy. It's hot. <laughs> the red ants, eh? The red ants yeah, are crazy in Southern Ontario. Oh, mosquitoes and everything ants, else. Ants in your pants. And we got to watch out for ticks. And we got to oh, watch yeah. out for giant hogweed. And, Battle zone. And, but that's all the bad stuff. The good news is that some of the biggest browns that I've ever caught in my life are night fishing. And legitimate night fishing uh, on foot is a very committed type of thing to do it takes time mm -hmm. uh but super effective yes, you'll so talk to guys over the years that that uh, dry fly fishermen that that you wouldn't see them during the day they've spent the last 15 years fishing this river wow. only at night well you know the one thing is no people right less people less people for sure big benefit of it and then i guess the other thing well for that the whole night fishing and you know catching huge fish and everything else for me there's two streams of questions for you one why and I, this is probably a longer uh answer but why do why are you catching such big fish at night why are such big fish feeding at night and then two uh i know you're a huge streamer guy and is that what you're using at night to fish for these uh big night fish I'm 
streamer fishing day and night to be honest with you mm-hmm. and it's it's so it's just become an evolution to where i'm at in my head with fishing um not even with trout but i'm you know i can i can take my streamer boxes that i'm targeting brown trout on the grand and i can come home with six pike you know half a dozen walleye between me and my buddy that are out doing it together jay and uh and a few trout it's just there's so much to it there's so much to it and it's so versatile and it's so scientific and it's such a big challenge um i kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there i think your original question was why do the big fish come out at night well yeah let's do let's do it in two parts because it's certainly uh i think it's probably a pretty robust question but i guess yeah like i mean i've you know i've always read in magazines and people saying this and now you brought it up big fish at night big browns at night you fish at night and you're gonna catch big 18 24 inch fish i'll I'll just say i'll just add to that that uh like big fish don't get big for no reason right like they're smarter And if they don't want to get eaten by errands or osprey, and so they fish at night because they're invisible. For sure. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at a trout's primary things that they're looking for is, is um, breaks in the current so that they can rest, having food sources close by and having cover. And when you don't have – when the lights are out, it's – all hands on deck they can cruise around wherever the hell they want and eat whatever they want which is pretty cool and the bigger fish that come out and feed at that time they're also not worried about other predators in the river because there's not a lot of pike you know you could argue that but there's not a lot of pike in the grand they're going to take a bite out of a two-foot brown trout uh they might have some battle wounds but that's going to be about it so um why do they feed at night yeah there are nocturnal fish species. I would argue that a lot of fish feed at night, but the interesting and cool thing is like we're targeting them on streamers, but don't get me wrong, guys. At one in the morning, if I could see my indicator or see my um, nymph rig that I predominantly would be doing if I was fishing at dawn in certain spots, don't get me wrong. I would be doing that yeah. if the fish could see it. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of stomachs that are pumped on our on brown trout in general that aren't full of bugs um you know from experience and knowledge in the past couple of years some of the some of the biggest browns on this river uh guys guys have actually pumped some stomachs to to have a look and they're full of midges so small you couldn't even put that on a hook almost like it's almost like a whale just kind of filtering krill out of the current like it's crazy um there's it's it's those random chances that you get a fish with a sculpin or something hanging out of its yap still that's trying to swallow it down and still eat your fly like that happens happens quite a bit but not near as much as these big browns that you you look at what's in their stomachs and they're just eating bugs and that's i guess how they get big i don't know yeah but streamer fishing and and large predatory fish it's opportunistic they're able to cruise around and not be so cautious about who's around, what's going on, and how they're going to get hurt. Um, so they can go look for that big food source. You know, they can move out of the faster runs in the current and the cover, and they can get out there and 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 go hunt, which is what we're doing too. You know, when we're going fishing at night, we're beating the crowds. Yeah. Uh, we're throwing down some of the senses that both we and the fish have, and we're just going at it. And it's a crapshoot. It's yeah. the same as jumping into a pool at five in the morning and and thinking 
Temp's right. Time's right. Pool's been rested. Fish are going to be here. I know they're here. I got the flies. I see bugs. And you scratch. And you go home scratching your head. Um, night fishing with streamers is the same sort of thing. And after a couple, you know, a few years doing it, you come to a level of acceptance that just like during the day, the bite's on, bite's on. Yeah, Next exactly. day, same conditions. If the bite's off, you have to be – you'll get to a point in it where you're confident enough in what you're doing, in the flies that you're tying, in your execution of the whole thing to walk away from that river and say, it's off. Fish weren't on tonight. Yeah. I probably in front of 10 fish and they're just not on. And that has taken me three years of battling it in my brain to come off the river and say, no, it wasn't on. It wasn't me. And streamer fishing, because I've, you have those nights where it's just so effective and you have these trophy brown trout that are just insane, that you start to think, well, why can't I do it every night? And why can't the same fly work the next night? And what am I doing? And then it just it plays on you. But um, fish do feed at night. The actual scientific reason behind it, I don't know. Um, probably because of you know they're they can they can sense that they can get away with a lot more at night than they can during the day. Mm -hmm. the, like you said too, the the water temperature fluctuates a lot during the day. At night, obviously, the water must be a lot colder. Or dropping, so, I guess. Eh? Yeah, it drops, so it's probably more it, more um, energy that way. For sure. Yeah. Well, fish, you know, they're, they're so sensitive to key in on pressure changes. You know, if a storm front rolls in, if I can see a storm coming on the horizon, we know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, if it's piss and rain and, and, you know, been consistently raining all day, we also have a different sense on, on what's going to happen with our confidence and, and what the bite's going to be like. So they're, they're so in tune with everything that's going on in the water and outside the water that's just crazy like yeah. you know after witnessing it so many times you can almost you know lick your finger stick it in the air and say no i'm not going out tonight kind of thing right yeah, yeah. now mm -hmm. you never know because things are always different that one night when your buddy says well forget it i'm going and and he bangs like three or four fish you know? <laughs> so, yeah exactly yeah sometimes you just gotta do it you know There is consistency and predictability, and definitely at night, if you put the time in, you put the commitment in, and and you you know that you're confident in what you're doing, which is the majority of fly fishing, um, you're going to find fish that are going to eat, and it's going to blow your mind. It's yeah. pretty cool, man. It's like catching an alligator in the dark. Oh man, <laughs> we, need, we need we need to do it like at, before well, after, before trout know. season ends. Let's do at least one night. Oh, man. We need to try it. Putting it like uh, alligator, you know. Pulling in an alligator—that sounds—that yeah. sounds pretty fun. And like, tying mice is like my favorite flies ever to tie. Like I, I have so many mice, I've never used them because. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that would be a good opportunity for me to uh, to let it shine. Yeah, <laughs> mousing is is so interesting, and and you know, mousing for me when I'm looking when I'm online and I'm looking at guys that I've had the opportunity to meet, um, Michigan. And it's so close to us guys, but Michigan, the upper peninsula and all the big water on the east and west side of Michigan, um, those guides over there, that's all they do. They, they work a three, three week in a row every day, every night they're, they're guiding, but they night fish, they will put guys in the boat and they will leave at 11 o'clock at night and they'll roll in bleary eyed at three and four in the morning. Um, 
because it's just that effective, both dry fly fishing and mousing and, you know, streamer fishing at night. It's just, it's pretty cool. And that's a lot of the stuff that I've learned has been from guys abroad and, and the big names in the game that are doing it right. Um, but yeah, it's been proven. Yeah. And their water's not a whole lot different than ours. Yeah. I mean, do you fish down in the States a lot? Or you go to Michigan a lot? Or is it just kind of, uh, like, have you ever gone up to, um, well, there's so much water in the States, you know, like when I was living, cause I'm from Ottawa. When I was living in Ottawa, I used to fish upstate New York all the time. And it was just like a totally different, um, game there, you know, like fishing on the rivers. The fish were so different when I came here. It was yeah. totally different. You know, I, I wonder if it's like that all across the upper States. Um, yeah, like I've, I've, uh, I've only recently, well, I guess in the last five, five, six years, I've really done a lot of traveling. My first two trips were out West in Southwest Alberta, um, right when I was sort of getting back into things and did some camping trips down on the Livingston, the old man, the crow and catching cutthroats and stuff. And it was, it was really fun. It was awesome. My best friend lives in Calgary. So I've done that quite a few times. Um, the Eastern States I've never actually been down to my, my best friend that, uh, I fish with my, my real, real hardcore fishing buddy, Jay King, um, I met him and we decided without really knowing each other to head up to the Sioux on our first, uh, spring steelhead trip. And after that, um, him and I became sort of obsessed together as a team with fishing and, and traveling. And our first trip or our second trip together was down to the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina, uh, fishing the delayed harvest season for brook trout and browns and rainbows. And it was just awesome. Right. But this was I think it would have been four years ago now. So, you know, pre complete insanity with streamers and, and targeting and hunting big fish. So we did that trip. It was awesome. Um, we have been over to Michigan is, is sort of piqued my interest quite a bit. We've been to Michigan once and fished the Osable, uh, the big waters of the Osable below Mayo, uh, which is, probably well it's the holy waters i mean ernest hemingway fished there when he was when he was around and um what kind of fish what kind of fish is on the usable like um steelhead or brown brooks or similar to us so basically the the osable river flows through basically the middle of the michigan upper peninsula and it's sort of the same latitude as kind of owen sound and george bay so it has very similar water structure uh okay. hydrology uh it does have it is dammed um and similar to the sagin it, it has every fish species you could want from steelhead in the lower section uh resident and wild brown trout in the the big waters of the osavo below mayo which is town and then above that you have the holy waters which is sort of grayling uh predominantly rainbows and brook trout I believe. So we were obviously at that point targeting our trip over there was to target, um, Browns and streamer fishing. We unfortunately made it a little bit too late and missed the bite, but we were fortunate enough to be right in the primetime Hendrickson season. And just the hatches over there, you could literally scoop up a handful of spinners in your hand at dusk that you, you could fill a soup bowl with. It was just oh, insane. Man, that's insane. Um, and if you, if you get on to some of the guys that are guiding over there on the Osable, they have kind of what we used to have as those textbook mayfly hatches back in the day, but times a thousand, like Man. 
Jay and I couldn't even believe it when we when we saw the the insect hashes and we didn't have the river dialed in. We were just there for a few days, but yeah, uh, the guides over there, um, you know, you go from your Hendrickson's to your Isonikias to your Drakes to your right now they're just finishing a two and a half week long hex hatch that has produced some of the biggest brown trout I've ever seen. That's unreal. Um, and two, now they're in a hatch. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's pretty awesome so we did that and then right around the michigan time was when jay and i i sort of for the last four years i've been watching and i know there's a lot of guys that have been down there a whole lot longer than me but the white river tailwater in arkansas is what has sort of got me into where i am now um from a you know bucket list sort of destination point that I knew I had to get to, uh, to making me as obsessed as I am with streamers, uh, fly tying, fly design, and just getting after it. And part of that is just because of what happens down there in the winter months on that tailwater. It brings all of the best streamer guys in the world, uh, basically over there and you get to meet them you get to fish some seriously big water for some seriously big brown trout. And it's pretty cool. Um, Again, way off on a tangent. That's uh, sort of a whirlwind <laughs> tour of my travels in the last four years, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I've got with my streamer fishing, basically. I want to talk a little bit about Arkansas because uh, I've read about it. I've seen multiple videos and stuff. I know like the streamer streamer fishing is really big there. I guess would you say that um, the trout fishing in Arkansas mostly happen in the winter? Because it's no, so so compared to us, it's so south that we're thinking like we're fishing here. We're like, oh, maybe we'll leave the trout alone because it's warm. It's Arkansas. It's like what, like seven hours of a drive south. Twenty one and a half hours. Wow, that's <laughs> <So laughs> over. Never January mind. The speed of it is uh, ice. Um, it's funny. It, yeah, you would. Everyone would should ask the same question: How the hell do you, are the trout not dead in Arkansas when it's rattlesnake and armadillo land, and yeah. and it's like a hundred and whatever degrees during the summer? It's desert tailwater, right? right? It's because of the tailwater, and like the water. It's because the tailwater too much. Uh, that's what it is for sure. It it is. It's a dream. It's a match made in heaven for me, and it's such a amazing, amazing place full of incredible people. Um, you never think it, you know, when I first started getting on and started sort of noticing, you know, what the hell is this Dally Zozark fly fisher and what's the white river and what kind of river is it? How the hell is there all these trout down there? And what is this love fest where I see like Kelly Gallup and everything going down? And, um, it just, it's such a cool place, but yes, answer to the question is these trout thrive uh it's massive it's massive water and it's got a massive couple reservoirs above it that dump a massive amount of cold water into it through the winter mm. um it's a tailwater so you know and it's a it's different from the grand river in that it's a their main priority and focus is power gen so the border between Missouri and Arkansas is where Bull Shoals Reservoir is, which is the lake that feeds the White River that flows into Bull Shoals Lake in Missouri. And right at the border dumps into Arkansas below uh, the dam of uh, the Bull Shoals Dam. The tailwater 
that will hold trout, I guess you could say it's at least probably 80 to 100 miles of trout water below that dam. Um, but it's big and it's all geared around power generation to feed power down to Texas and the, the hotter Arizona states and stuff like that is the way I understand it. Oh, but wow. it's highly variable when you have a river that big, like we're talking normal, normal summer flow on the Grand River is four cubic meters a second. Um, unweightable water on the Grand River would probably be about 22, 23 cubic meters a second um in january and february when texas is cold and when people need power that river uh, is and if there's enough water in the reservoir that river will flow peak day at 26 to 28,000 cubic feet a second so it's just massive you know it's crazy. and that's why that amount of water can just put a lot more cold water into the system and it's a beautiful fishery. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, well, even yeah. just looking at, uh, even just Googling it here, like there's, there's a bunch of fly shops not too far apart from each other. And it looks like tons of water and everything else too. There's, there's yeah. room for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, lots of room. Um, there's basically in the vicinity of Bullshills Dam, there's the town of Cotter, which is where Dally's fly shop is. There's several in the area. They're all good. Um, there's tons of guiding operations. Uh, there's another tributary about 25 minutes to the southeast called the, the Norfolk, which is a, another tailwater, power gen tailwater, that's about six miles long that drains from the Norfolk uh, Reservoir into the White River. And it's pretty awesome. But it's more sort of double grand river size but when they're generating power that thing's drift boat only and hang on and oh, it's man. got it's actually got resident cutthroat in it big ones wow. uh tons and tons of rainbows and wild browns for sure and the streamer bite on that river is pretty crazy so when the when the white's like really big or not generating power some days the norfolk will be so you can fly down there and try and get a spot in there and fish that six miles of water and it's pretty pretty banging um but yeah lots of fly shops and there's little red river in arkansas that's another sort of tailwater that's a couple hours south of that that uh is also a sort of trophy brown trout water it's just an amazing place there's so much to get your head around um in the summer months, and even some last year when we were in the winter months, it, there is weightable water, weightable times a day where you can actually go in and accesses and wade the river. Uh, within a given two hours, it could go up eight feet, and you're in a boat with a forty horsepower jet motor on the back, kind of thing to get to target browns. Like it's just Jesus. insane. So it's not really, it's not like wading friendly. It's really like from from drift boats or power boats, eh? Mostly. Yeah. Yeah, the, the standard, sort of the go-to boat that we see down there, it's so funny. The first time we went down there, we had a, a an 11-foot, two-man, two-seater hide without a motor on it. And we went down there, uh, the first time we went was in March, early March. And uh, they had had sort of record flood year, and there was a lot of generating power going on. And we hit it. The three or four days we were down there it was about fifteen thousand CFS, and and we were able to to uh, fish it in our boat, but we looked like an ant, you know, 
exactly. <laughs> in the water. We got we got chirped by a lot of Texans and a lot of people from Arkansas calling us uh, the cute guys and little white crap. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the the standard boat down there is so funny. The White River has been a trout fishery forever, and it's a standard twenty foot sort of flat hulled John boat and sort of big big deck sort of thing like a big giant duck boat basically with uh with a jet motor on the back it's kind of like an hybrid between a, a drift boat and a and a power boat right like because i've saw i've seen these boats and i'm like where do you get those like i've never seen those ever john boat? no not the john boat but like these boats oh right they're like a they're flat kind of like a drift boat but they have a motor Like yeah. here, you see a lot of drift boat. You go to Quebec, you see a lot of like freight canoes. It's like something when I've started to Google it, I've never seen before. I was like, these look badass. Yeah, they're so cool. I mean, they they can track and they can they can motor up through water that we would be knocking rocks on in a drift boat. Even it's crazy. Hmm. Um, most like some of the predominant boat companies that I know of are Shawnee. Is one of them. They actually are are one of their main offices, I believe, is in Cotter, Arkansas, right on the white. And they're pretty impressive boats. It's it's like a tournament bass boat, basically, like a big ranger or a skeeter or whatever. Mm. Um, but they're just designed to run rivers. And you throw a couple guys in there with a guide, and you're set up on oars as well. So you motor up, you power down, you you float down, you fish, 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 and you motor up, and you can go wherever you want, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's awesome. You you do have a drift boat as well, right? Yeah, so we upgraded after after we got just kind of chirped around a little bit down in Arkansas. We realized that, you know <laughs> what, our boat is, our, our little hide was super handy. We, we shed a tear when it left the driveway. Jay and I kind of split on our boat um, because we could take our boat and carry it into any water that all the full-size drift boats can't get to for steelheading in the fall in our rivers. Uh, so it was super versatile. The wives, unfortunately, wouldn't let us have two, and we decided it's way more important to be you know, safe on the white and wherever we're going to be traveling. So we, we stepped it up. So now we are running an older but a pretty cool Clocker Craft drift boat, and we have a pretty shitty old motor on the back but we have a we actually have a motor now so we look a little bit more legit when we're down in arkansas <laughs> <laughs> and um like you mentioned you use it in arkansas but in southern ontario when i see like people say the grand river is a big river but i'm from just outside quebec city and a, a big river it's not necessarily the same for me than it is for people from southern ontario where do you where, where where's the opportunity in southern ontario to uh to to get down on a drift boat and, and drift because i've seen it on the grand river but i feel like like it, it mm -hmm. looks like they're a little bit out of place sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah it's totally out of place i mean at this year on the upper grand river which was what i would consider our tailwater section where there's browns we've had um I would say three or four weeks this season where you can put a full-size drift boat in in the Gorge Park and go down to Westmont Roser or 86 Line. Um, you can't do it on a regular year, uh, and you kind of look like a bit of a dummy putting your boat in anywhere where there's going to be waiting traffic, but uh, it's doable. Um, 
the lower grand i don't fish it a lot because i have a hard time i like to be non-urban when i fish especially when i'm steelheading so i predominantly will target more the northern and the western tribs um i feel you for that especially yeah. as the photographer of the group when we go to lower <laughs> grand i'm like well you guys need to catch fish because this landscape fucking sucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah Uh, yeah, I have a hard time driving down the 401 at four in the morning to go fish a credit. And that's just me. I know that when I'm actually in there, it's a beautiful fishery. There's some really great scenery down there, similar to the Brawny, similar to the Lower Grand. But for me, I'm just drawn. Part of my, my thing is the vibe, right? Part of my mm. thing is the confidence and where my friends are. And when I'm steelheading and I'm dragging the boat somewhere, I'm usually heading north or I'm heading to the Maitland or the Saugeen primarily. Yeah. Um, I put a drift boat in the beaver in the beaver before and that was quite a quite an escapade. But um, <laughs> I heard that the beaver can be a pretty, pretty tricky river to uh, to wade and. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, on, it's on a tough boat, one but... to navigate, especially in a drift boat <laughs> yeah. um, in the spring because it's pretty unpredictable. But you guys know what's the advantage of having a drift boat in southern Ontario uh, when you're mm -hmm. steelheading in the fall and you, and you got big water on the Maitland or on the Saugeen or on the Grand, beating the crowd. Three in the morning to leave in Toronto, leave Toronto, and you're going to show up at five, and there's going to be two thousand guys. Yeah, <laughs> so I know shoulders at the spot that you thought holy shit if i got up this early i should be able to get a spot yeah um, when i first moved to uh, oh sorry no go ahead oh when i first moved to toronto i was going i took the subway up to the umber actually that's the my very first line in the water that's when i got my first steelhead ever yeah. in my life but um and then so i was like oh i'm totally gonna go back like umber river downtown toronto you'd be like mm -hmm. there is no one around me i drop a line And then five minutes later, there's like five uh, uh, row baggers, uh, well, uh, center pinners, like casting on top of my line, and so so I yeah, beating the crowds. So cool. It's key. <laughs> it's so cool though. Can can you where else where else in the world can you leave your condo or your apartment or your townhouse or whatever and pack your shit and get on a subway? And go further that's, into the city to catch steelhead. It's like, a good point. That's yeah. so true. Like, no, so where true. does that happen? Yeah, like you my know, like, very, very, very first steelhead was literally five minutes of a walk of a subway station. It's so cool. It's ugly. The surrounding is ugly. It, there's nothing romantic about it, but yeah. but it's in the bag. It's so cool, and that's that's one of the things that Sesta and Rob Rob at Drift Outfitters does so well is he supports the local clubs that are trying to like keep the the urban fishery kindled i i love it i'm all for it i mean i've been down to the credit after you know during the extended part of the season post january and and i'm down there i'm like where the hell even am i like other than the 403 bridge or whatever like expressways going over my head you really wouldn't know the difference and for me it's a fortunate thing though right like i'm i'm separated i'm i'm equally You know, if I left my house and headed north in the same amount of time, I could be in a perfectly traffic-free float on the Saugeen mm -hmm. than if I, I drove down to the credit. So I'm fortunate. I'm yeah. even more central than you guys are in Toronto. Oh, I feel like um, Fergus is, yeah, it's definitely, it's like in the center of it all. You can you yeah. can hit the George, uh, Georgian Bay. You can, go, you can go south close to Erie. You can go west. It's, it's really like the all. center of it all really it's the center yeah. of the world yeah 
It really is. It's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in an hour and 20 minutes for me to be up on Georgian Bay, I'm going to choose that over battling 6 a.m. traffic to drive down to the credit. Even if I know that the credit's banging and the flows are perfect and it's on the downward spike and clarity's good and viz is good and fish are in, I'm going to go swinging with my buddy on the Saugeen and Walkerton, knowing that we might hit a few. And, uh, you know, crack a few beers and have a good time. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. I don't know that's steel hitting though. Brown trout's a little different. I would probably go fish a ditch in a culvert in Toronto if that's <laughs> where the big browns were. And that's just different fish, different, different mentality, right? Yeah, we've been trying to figure out the the upper credit for a while. Um, it's starting to work, but it it, it definitely took some patience. <laughs> yeah, well, just it's... like every, just like everything. Fishing yeah. pressure, right? Like these, these, these fish. You go there at six in the morning. There's three pickup trucks already, <laughs> already there before you. So, but certainly one thing I think I want to do more of, just for fun, is uh, using streamers. And I know, like uh, at uh, Rob uh, Drift Outfitters, um, uh, what the fly competition there. You did a streamer uh, presentation. You were tying up some streamers and talking about streamers, beautiful flies. And uh, I don't know. I was thinking uh, maybe you could talk a bit more about. Streamer fishing for trout specifically, because bass, pike, all that stuff, like, oh, man, it's so fun. I love, like, being in eastern Ontario, always fishing bass, pike, even walleye on streamers. was so much fun. But trout, I still haven't done it. I'm trying to match the hatch and, you know, do things like that, actually pay attention to the insect life and stuff um, and learn the hatches. But there's something about streamers that's so, it just seems like so much fun. Yeah, it's uh, – it, it depends. It <laughs> Depends if you like to tie flies too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't, then you know it can. It's for me, it's hand in hand. Being able to tie flies and being able to design a fly that fuels my passion when I'm on the water is just sort of the holistic package. Um, there's so many totally insane custom tires in North America that you will never have to suffer as a result of not being able to tie flies. So don't get me wrong. It just, I, I love, as I said, when I was a kid, I was a wiener and I was, I was collecting bugs in sieve nets before I really fished all that much, you know, same thing with, with the art of streamer fishing, tying and design. There's so many elements to it. it. Just blows my mind. It's got me obsessed. Um, you know, where do you start? Yeah. Where do you start with streamer fishing? Do you start with the daily new innovative materials that are coming out on the market? Like the industry right now, the tying industry is like nothing I've ever seen in 25 years of, of seeing it. Oh, it's, uh, I think uh, in all the fly tying, the streamers is the one that I think I've evolved so much more than all of the others. Cause like uh, from my dad's, uh muddler minnows white muddlers and and then the the normal muddlers too like today you can buy skulls and and then and then dumbbell high and so like where where do you start where do you stop where it's it it i think it's been crazy it's it's easy to get lost yeah if you start um, thinking about streamers yeah and that's where it intimidates a lot of people um I would argue that tying an effective and productive streamer it could be simpler or as simple as tying. Like, put it this way: you got, let's say you want to tie a five-inch articulated sculpin. 
and you don't know how to tie one, but you got some marabou and you got some flash and you got an idea of how a, how a fly like this should swim. And I would challenge you to tie me a perfectly tied size 16 Adams. By the end of it, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to have a fit more fishable streamer than you are that Adams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, but on the opposite end of it is it is overwhelming. It's intimidating as shit, man. Like there is so many incredible and innovative and original and productive tires out there to look at Mm -hmm. that you feel pretty small, pretty quick. And it's, it's, uh, because this type of fishing has been consumed me. I mean, you can talk to my wife in the next room um she's it's beyond passion it's borderline insanity (laughs) it can be overwhelming and it it becomes you have to have you have to be able to reground yourself and put come back to ground zero and put it into perspective and take that fly box full of random concoctions and put it aside or throw it out and say what are the foundations for the type of fly i'm trying to make who are the guys that started these foundations and what did they tie in? Sometimes it takes me to spend a month going back down to tie in Kelly's Zoo Cougar, you know, and cranking out some of those so that I kind of reprogram my brain because, you know, during certain times of the year, the more you're on social media and seeing some of the stuff that's coming off vices, you can get on a tangent pretty damn quick mm-hmm. and you can get your brain just wrapped up so fast that you're either spending money on materials that you don't have to de- don't know how to use you're tying stuff that isn't going to catch the fish that you're fishing for you're trying to make a fly that's going to look good on instagram you know so there's all that kind of stuff that that will consume you and i'm fortunate enough to have a really good buddy that you know my friend jay him and I ground each other with it. Uh, I've got him into fly tying and he's come so far in the last few years mm. and got even more insane with materials and flies and knowing things that it, it can get overwhelming and you gotta, we gotta ground each other and, uh, you know, think about where this thing holds all started. It's good to and have someone that tells you like, Hey, that doesn't make sense. Like, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just tone it down a notch. You don't need eight hundred dollars in in Senyo's laser dub type stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we try to tell that uh, to Yelma all the time, but he just tells us to screw <laughs> off, and he buys all this fancy stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. All these yeah, well, fancy waders and boots. <laughs> Start catching fish. It's all good because that's the passion, man. Why why not spend money on that kind of stuff? And oh, that's totally. that's the other end of it too, which you know, my wife again in the next room could say, well. Yeah, you just got a package worth a couple hundred bucks of some feathers and fur and some synthetic <laughs> crap that's flashy that the cat eats. But <laughs> you could have dished that out at the bar last night. So, you know, it's kind of dorky, but it's kind of real, too. It's it's something that, you know, when you get into it like that, helps your lifestyle, yeah, for sure. That's a good point, for sure, yeah. You just have to say, but but I'm faithful. I'm fly tying, I'm <laughs> yeah. spending all that money. But I'm faithful. Exactly. I feel like the fly tying thing is a whole other show altogether. Like that uh, guy, you could probably go on for days with um, tying streamers and everything else. Eh? Yeah, we've. Uh, it's so funny how these things go. How you can just start talking about something you love so much, but fly tying is a whole other show altogether. And, <laughs> yeah. And 
Oh yeah. All I can say is that I, I, I'm hard at it. I hope to do more of it. I hope to be out there with, with helping out the shops and doing stuff with Rob. We've been talking about, um, some potential stuff coming up in the winter, which should be pretty exciting. Um, probably all going to be streamer related for me. I'm going to start, you know, I do a, I start doing tying demos and stuff in usually in the winter, but this year I kind of want to start a little early and get into some shops and do some sort of hype around steelhead flies and, and tying some stuff like that. Some of my own patterns and stuff that I like and, and, you know, get in there in the fall Hell yeah! rather than wait till it's over and then try and keep people going, which is cool and needed because everyone starts to get excited for the countdown to trout season. But yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we can talk again for sure. Oh yeah, man. And Streamers is, we could talk for a long time. You don't want to get me started <laughs> right now. We should have a panel. <laughs> we'll save that for our six hour episode. When we got you back on, we'll talk streamers with three parts. Yeah. When we're drinking coffee instead of beer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, right on, man. Um, shit i think that's like pretty packed show right there yeah oh my god so much stuff that's a um, lot of info where because oh, i know you're a guide you're a guide uh, on the mostly on the grand do you guide anywhere on other rivers as well or uh yeah this year with my new baby at home my first uh love of my life hey congratulations again, for that yeah congrats. that's yeah, awesome thanks she just she's just about 10 months you don't um, you don't just tie flies now you make you make living things Make babies, yeah. Yeah, we have one, and apparently we're having only one right now, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've stepped out of my guiding a little bit. I've done a handful this year, um, previous years, and again, I have a full-time job as a program manager for an engineering company in town in Fergus. Um, but I would manage, you know, a dozen to two dozen guides I would take the time to do a year, and it's sort of um, this past year just with, with Grace being born – I've just put it kind of back because I still am so I feel so progressive in in my fishing and tying that I, I want to learn more I want to do more I want to get more consistent and everything else that um, I've stepped away but I do uh, guide steelhead both in the boat and and waiting um, primarily you know if we're in the boat I'm going to want to guide on the soggy or I'm going to want to guide on the Maitland I know that water relatively well not nearly as well as the veterans that are out there but i do it pretty productive um prior to streamer fishing i was a nymphing guy through and through and if the smaller trips are on i will guide on those so uh the big head uh beaver river in the spring um some of the other smaller stuff like nine mile all those trips uh they're all great there's so much fun um, and I've guided on a lot of them now and, and hope to continue doing it as Grace gets older, she can maybe go on my back in a backpack or something. But, uh, <laughs> right now I've sort of put it, put it aside. I've, again, I think I've done five or six just for clients that I've known over the years. So yeah, she, she's going to grow up being a great angler and an outdoor, an outdoor enthusiast for sure. Uh, for sure, yeah. If I have anything to say or say about it, she will be outside at the very <laughs> least. I don't care what she's doing out there as long as she's not inside. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Get them outdoors. And uh, sure. if someone wants to book you or talk to you, where, where where's the best place that they can reach uh, you? Best place would be just to message me on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I think I'm Groves Nick. 
and Nick Groves on Facebook. I guide exclusively through uh, Robbie and Scotty's shop at, at Grand River Outfitting in Fergus. You can always call them. Uh, ask for me. I I don't guide independently, only through them, and that's for okay. obvious reasons through insurance and and sort of status like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm available. That, that's if awesome. I like you, I'll guide you. How about that? <laughs> right <on. laughs> this year. Yeah, that'd be that'd be that'd be good. If uh, if you have a little bit of an opening, you let me know, and uh, and uh, we'll we'll drive down to Fergus. Well, you guys have been so uh, great in, in having me on this podcast, and you've obviously shown me support. I, I, I think, Gabe, you and I had talked last year about getting you in the boat for a, at least a bass float or something. Um, yeah. We'll make it happen. We'll hey, talk we, off. We, we have we'll to make it happen. Through. I've been yeah. I've been dreaming about it. I've, I've actually never fished from a drift boat. I've been waiting my whole life. Like I've like I said, I've been fishing for since I'm a kid. But my dad never never owned a, even a canoe, so I've been a waiter, a waiting dude my whole life. I guess I'm just cool. I'm a bum. Well, then we can actually <laughs> catch some fish too if we're out with somebody who uh, who's catching fish. Who knows, yeah. <laughs> hey, tell you what, we'll we'll have to book. We'll we'll get something sorted out for the fall. Um, and if you like to wade, I'll just row you down to each run, and we can swing through. How about that? We'll go swinging oh. in the fall. Right I love on. I love wading. I love being on a boat. I Sounds love good drowning. Anything. If it's on the round water, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll talk. I'm awesome. available, guys. The fall should be good. Let's pray that we get that you know golden season of miracles that happen with the oh, weather, man. with the flows, with the temps, with the with the everything, with the mood of the steelhead and everything comes together and we get a good season hell yeah man yeah. I, we're hoping for that for i sure. have a pretty good feeling because last year there was no rain and the fall season it just continued on that path there was just no water but it's been so rainy this year that uh, i'm yeah. hoping i'm hoping i don't know we'll see but i'm hoping for a good steelhead season this year it's gonna be good touching wood it's 60 to 75 percent of any kind of fishing is to do with your confidence and we'll leave it at that i would say that tomorrow is going to be fun think about this tomorrow within an hour of each other you guys are going to be looking for browns there's going to be guys targeting bass pike and musky and i'm going to be up catching specks and brook trout so think about that all within an hour of us we can do all of that yeah, mitch, yeah. mitch is going to look down on me because i'm going to look for some carp oh carp Sorry. especially carp. in that spot that i will i will not name <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool that's amazing yeah hey nick thanks so much for for talking with us it was awesome no problem guys it was actually uh quite good I enjoyed it, and we should do this again. Oh hell yeah, that'd be awesome! And next time we, we can talk sure. about uh, we can talk about streamers and trout streamers and everything else, and get into that whole thing. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Beauty. Well, thanks very much, man. Okay, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. Yeah, and have fun tomorrow. We'll see you. See you. Everybody listening, if you want to check us out on social, we're SoFly on Facebook and the SoFly crew on Instagram. Check us out. Um, you can find different uh, images and stuff we're up to and also videos. We're getting a little bit more into videos. We just did a video for Tomogamy Outfitting Co. in Northern Ontario, Tomogamy, and that was uh, that was killer. Uh, thanks again, Eric, for coming up. That was our last show. It Check was it out. so good. Yeah, so much fun. That Tomogamy region is ours now. I think uh, we're going to go back. Love it up there. But thanks again, uh, Nick, and thanks to you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Bye.